Um, I want to talk about the idea tonight that size matters. And I'm going to expand on what I mean by that in just a moment. But if you happen to have a Bible handy, jump open to Matthew chapter 17, and I will be there in not very long from now. I think one of the, one of the biggest awakenings that is happening across the body of Christ at the moment, and look, for me, the world fundamentally moves too slow. <laughs> I'm just one of those people that likes to move you know, quickly. Um, but the, the awakening that's happening across the body of Christ is that we are not just a club, we're not just a social institution, you know, we're not kind of a glorified rotary club with a spiritual overtone, um, we're not just a friendship group, you know, there are all sorts of things that we have in common with that, but we have a commission that is much bigger and much higher than that, and that is to bring heaven to earth. Now, what do we mean by that? It is to take what is in heaven and actually see it manifested for real on earth. So as we just prayed for healing for people then, there's no pain in heaven, right? So if we bring heaven on earth and make earth look like heaven, the pain's got to go. The brokenness, the, the injury, it's got to go. And Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We kind of, okay, so shall we close in prayer? No. <laughs> Sorry, some of you are about to get your wish. Um, so... We have this commission to bring heaven to earth, and yet um, we're not yet seeing it at the level we want. It, we're, we're seeing more than, I don't know, I remember you know, back when we were youngsters growing up, um, Grant and I grew up in the same church and got into all sorts of trouble together in the same church. And um, If you had have told me then that I would see some of the things that we've seen, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Like God has, God has done so many cool, amazing things that at times in my life, I never thought I would see that stuff happen. I never thought I would see um, someone go from 10 or 11 out of 10 back pain to the point where they couldn't stand up during worship and could barely move, walk out completely pain-free, completely delivered of, of this generational thing um, that has gone right through their family and walked out with no pain whatsoever. I never thought I'd see stuff like that. I never thought I'd see headaches leave instantly. I never thought I'd see you know, demons, unclean spirits leave. Um, I kind of... I grew up with a theology that, that all, all that stuff belonged back in the book of Acts and that had kind of ended. And I quickly had a few experiences that led, led me to the idea that maybe that wasn't so. But yet we still haven't seen the full manifestation of that. And what I want to start to hit is that there are probably two, um, as I see it right now, there are two kind of Big blocks above others. Hey, Seamus, how you doing? This is Seamus, everyone. Seamus loves worship in the presence, it would seem. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are two blocks, I feel like, that these are the things that we are fighting against that we need to get victory over if we are going to see heaven manifested on earth to the level that we are meant to. Um, and I have this, call it naive but I think it's biblical belief when Jesus said, the things that I do, you will do and greater things will you do because I go to the Father. He actually meant what he said. It wasn't some metaphorical statement. That's John 14, 12, if you're wondering where that came from. Um, yeah, when he said, these signs will follow those who believe in Mark 16, I don't believe that that was just a group of believers up until Acts chapter 28 ended. Um, that's for us. 
and yet we're not seeing the level that we could. And, and I believe the two, if you like, Goliaths or the giants that are in our land right now, one of them is unbelief and the other one is orphanitis. I want to hit the unbelief bit in just a second. For those of you who are in hubs, I hit it a little bit um, last Sunday. I can never remember which week's which. But we're back here next week, by the way, in case we forgot to tell you that. I know it's on Facebook. We're back here because it's the fifth Sunday. But last week for hubs, I talked about um, this thing of unbelief. The other thing we've been talking into, Phil and Maria spoke into it beautifully. And, and as hub leaders, we have been talking through this a whole lot. And we did, we did a whole lot earlier this week is this whole thing of moving from orphans to sons, that the church right now, I remember um, a certain political figure saying that COVID was, a, was a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I'm not trying to repeat that line in any way. I have a slightly different opinion on that. But, um, but what I want to say is that the church has suffered a pandemic of the unparented. The definition of an orphan is someone who is disconnected from mothers and fathers. And in the kingdom, an orphan is someone who is experientially disconnected from the love of the father. Pure and simple. I've been in church all my life, but I've never ever tangibly experienced the, the love of the father that absolutely melts and changes my heart in a moment. And when we haven't experienced that, we find it then difficult to receive love from others. We find it difficult to receive feedback. And so I want to pick that one up in weeks to come um, a little bit more because I do believe that this orphan thing has caused us to create um, in our head a version of church that's basically an orphan factory. It does, it's not growing spiritual sons and daughters. And one of the things I'm stoked about with the oh badass thing that Vaughan talked about was for once, something as edgy as that wasn't my idea. I just said a loud amen to it. <laughs> but um, on becoming a disciple and spiritual son, it's not just, yeah, I've got to read my Bible more, I've got to pray more. No, there, there is something far deeper than that. And that orphan to son, orphan to son daughter, and when, when we say sons, we're using that like we use the bride of Christ. Like we never masculinize, I don't know if that's a word, is it? We never make masculine the bride of Christ <laughs> because you, it, just, it just doesn't work. Um, and likewise, you know, when we talk about spiritual sons, we're talking about females like males, we're the bride of Christ. Once you see it in the New Testament, it's everywhere. Until you see it, you don't see it. But once you see it, it's absolutely everywhere and you can't miss it. The language is all the way woven through. And um, this is an area where not just us, but the church broadly needs, needs a whole lot. But let me, come back to, let, let me come back to this thing of unbelief. Last, in our hub chat last week, and if you weren't in a hub or your hub didn't meet last week and you haven't seen it, it's still up on our Facebook page. Can I encourage you to go and have a look? I looked at Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 9. And these are two times in Scripture where, where something didn't happen, like the breakthrough didn't happen. In other words, you know, in, Mark, in Mark 6... Jesus was at Nazareth and he couldn't, do many, he couldn't do any mighty works there. Mark chapter 9, his disciples prayed for a boy with a deaf mute spirit and they couldn't shift the thing and, eventually, and they brought him to Jesus. Um, and, you know, Jesus said, you know, oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. He cast the demon out, the boy's healed. And the disciples later go, how, 
I imagine it being a little bit more like that. Scripture makes it a little more sanctified. Um, or maybe I'm just projecting me into that situation. I don't know. And it's, why couldn't we do this? How come you couldn't, we couldn't? And I'm going to have a look at that, that story from Matthew's lens in just a second. And that's Matthew, um, that's Matthew chapter 17. But what we looked at in Hubchat was the atmosphere of corporate faith or the atmosphere of corporate unbelief and how important that is. And we talked about how important testimony is. When we testify to what God has done, it actually builds faith in the room because it was corporate unbelief that stopped even the most anointed person on earth, namely Jesus, from doing any miracles. Corporate unbelief is, is significant. The other thing we pointed to was individual anointing. And that's when Jesus said in Mark 9 to the disciples, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is what builds, because Jesus didn't pray or fast in the moment in that story in Mark chapter 9. He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, but he, he just cast the demon out. But he pointed to prayer and fasting as what gave him the breakthrough. But he didn't pray and fast for that miracle. You, you with me? He'd been pray- he had a whole vault of praying and fasting that built his personal anointing that meant he could shift things that other people couldn't. So what we see here, and so I want to pick up this concept of individual anointing. Let's go, to, let's go to Matthew chapter 17. There is a reason why some people can shift things and others can't. I, I've been so ridiculously blessed to be around, to have been prayed for by, to pray with, to be a catcher for some of the most incredible healing um, ministers on the planet. Um, Bill Johnson, for one, John Meller, who, who some of you may have heard of, he's an Australian healing evangelist who never actually prayed for a healing anointing. He just fasted and prayed for revival and he walked out with an anointing to heal the sick and cast out demons. And I, I had the pleasure of catching for him in one meeting. And I will never forget this. So I'm standing here. The person who's being prayed for is standing about here. I'm standing here ready to catch because if you don't know, sometimes when the power of God hits someone, they, they go and fall down. And so I'm standing here ready. John prays for him and such power got released. So I'm here almost like a cricket wicketkeeper. I wasn't bent down that far. Ready to catch, you know, look after the back, safety, all of that. The power hits him. This guy shoots over my right shoulder and lands on the floor over there. Like, I kid you not. I am not embellishing this story one bit. He literally flew across the room, landed over there, and he got up completely healed. I'm serious. <laughs> I, I, hand on heart. I will never forget the, <laughs> as long as I live. And like I said, that, that's kind of funny, but he got uphill. That was the main point. The guy didn't remember flying across the room. He just remembered I was injured and now I'm not. People like that didn't get that anointing by accident. And there isn't, just, there isn't a random reason why he is able to shift things that other people seem to pray for and can't. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17 and verse... Kind of, verse 10 around. So this is, this is Matthew's lens on the same story that we read from Mark chapter 9 um, in Hubs last week. Um, actually, I'm going to pick up um, in verse that one. 
the 19, verse 19 of Matthew 17. So the numbers are so small in this particular Bible that I just can't see them. And again, I'm blaming it. It's nothing to do with my eyes or how long my arms are. Stop laughing at me, Kelly, <laughs> even though it's entirely justified. Um, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast the demon out? Okay, so the disciples tried to cast the demon out. They couldn't. Jesus said, bring him to me. He cast the demon out. Now, we ha- now this is Matthew's version of that conversation. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, he points straight to the issue, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In other words, there are some, there are different levels of obstacle that we face in the kingdom and in the spirit. And some require a stronger level of anointing to deal with because they're that much more ingrained. And this is where we get to the individual anointing piece. I talked about, like I said, the corporate faith part last week. This is the individual part where the onus is on every single one of us to lean into the presence of God in such a way and, and to spend time in the presence of God when there's not a problem. This is the thing. When Jesus did that, he didn't go away, spend time with God, come back and kick the demon's butt. He did that when there wasn't a problem so that when the impossible appeared, he was ready to deal with it. Now, some of you may be going, yeah, but he was Jesus. Was anyone, anyone thinking that? was? Yeah, but he was Jesus. No, one, no one's admitting it even if you do. The thing we've got to understand is Jesus did what he did, did as a spirit-filled man, not as God. Philippians tells us he laid aside his divinity and he lived as a spirit-filled man, which means Bill Johnson says Jesus is the most normal Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. Okay, well, that was clearly a really good point then. I can see there's just such a... Thanks, Josh. Appreciate your support there, all one of you. So if you follow the concept of faith through particularly the Gospels, you will find, as I said before, size matters. Jesus pointed to and experienced different levels of faith. So you, you see him a number of times saying, you of little faith. He spoke to a quantity. You of little faith. Um, he responded to the faith of the people that brought the paralytic on the mat to him. And, and he said he saw their faith and he reached out and healed them. So he responded to the presence of faith. He said to another, according to your faith, be it unto you. Getting the picture building here. And to another, and this is the Canaanite woman who brought her demonized daughter to Jesus. Jesus' response was, I have never seen such great faith, even in Israel. This was the conversation where um, the woman comes to Jesus, and because she's not a Jew, Jesus says, well, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And the woman says back to her, well, even the dogs, you know, eat up the crumbs from under the master's table. And Jesus is like, is taken back by the boldness of this woman. 
um, and says, I've never seen such great faith, even in Israel. And, he, and, his, and her daughter was healed from that very moment. So there was ye of little faith, responded to faith. Then there was great faith. And the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. So there, there is this quantitative measure, if you like. There is this quantitative measure of faith. If we're not careful, this can get really performancey. So what we have to understand is that Romans 10, 9 and 10, tells us that it is with our heart that we believe, it's with our mouth that we confess. So faith is a thing of the heart. It's not a thing of I'm trying to drum up cognitive agreement. Okay, it's with my heart that I believe, which means the development of faith is a process of the heart. It's the process of marinating my heart in stuff so that faith is the tree that grows. But like faith can grow, unbelief can grow. And I don't know how many of you, um, we said it last, last week in Hub Chat as well, and Deb mentioned it this morning, Bill Johnson's wife, Benny, um, very sadly died from cancer last Thursday last week. Um, and Bill, <laughs> courageous as ever, spoke three days after losing his own wife. Um, and one of the things that he said that was so profound, he said, mourning will either lead you into comfort or into unbelief. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There is a biblical mourning that is absolutely right and absolutely justified. What can take us into unbelief is whenever we process our pain, our disappointment, or our loss apart from the presence of God. When we do that, it's going to take us into unbelief because it forms a template in our heart that says God didn't do that. God didn't operate. And you go, well, what if I just don't process at all? Well, that is actually processing. <laughs> I'm processing it by shoving it in a corner and locking the door. And that too, that's, that's the same as processing apart from the presence of God. So unbelief can take hold through processing our pain, our, our loss, our disappointment outside of the presence of God. Actually, it's the most natural thing that arises when we do that, when we don't process our disappointments healthily. We end up in unbelief because every time we face that same mountain again, our heart is still wounded from that disappointment there and that's what comes up. I remember I saw one of, one of Bill's family write um, on social media. You know, once Benny went, they all got together as a family and said, we are not changing the assignment. We are not changing the mission. Nothing changes. We will mourn, then we're going to get up and we're going to fight again. He said that Bill said the same when his dad also died of cancer. So processing our pain and disappointment apart from the presence of God will lead us into unbelief. We often forget that if you've grown up in church, we know, you know, mentally that Jesus died for our sin, right? That's, that's kind of obvious, like that's Gospel 101, Jesus died for our sin. What we often miss in Isaiah 53 is that it says, surely he carried our sorrows. Surely he carried our sorrows. You start to understand the magnitude of what Jesus carried on the cross, when you understand he didn't just bear the weight of sin. I mean, sometimes for us, I don't know, when we're processing stuff or we've screwed up or we've, you know, whatever, we feel the weight of our own guilt. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever felt that or is it just me that's ever just kind of felt the weight of my own guilt? 
And sometimes the weight of my own guilt feels horrible, right? It's like, I don't imagine having upon you the guilt of the entire world, past, present, future. You understand that, you understand why Jesus died on the cross before the others did because it wasn't just the physical stuff that was happening to him. He was carrying a weight that was unbearable. That that helps you understand Gethsemane when he said, Father, if this cup can be taken from me because he knew what he was about to carry. And for him, it was something fundamentally unfamiliar. For us, guilt might feel familiar, but for Jesus, who was the perfect one, it it, it was a completely unfamiliar thing. But he knew in his spirit the weight of what he was about to carry. But that's just the guilt. Surely he carried our sorrows. Have you ever felt you know, the pain and the sorrow is like, I, I, this is more than I can bear. Like this takes my breath away. And again, he carried the entirety of that past, present and future on the cross. Surely he carried our sorrows. Like, Whoa. So every loss, every disappointment, every, every pain that you have faced, Jesus carried it. You don't have to process it apart from him because he's already experienced it. He's already paid a price for it. And when we experience, when we process our disappointments, our loss, and when I talk about disappointments, the key things are I prayed and God didn't show up the way I expected him to or wanted him to. That's the kind of stuff that, if we don't process that healthily, ends up undoing us and leaving us in unbelief. But when we understand that he carried that, we don't, we don't, it's, I mean, how many worship leaders in church life have you ever said, you know, all with, leave your crap at the door and come in and worship Jesus? <laughs> don't do that. Bring it with you. Bring it with you and say, Jesus, can we work through this together? Because the whole leave it at the door and come and worship, that's a performance culture. That's, that's, that's oppression, denial, all, all that stuff. S- super unhealthy. Bring it with you. Wail, mourn. I remember when we lost my dad um, back in 2011. Every time I got into worship, I was just a blubbery mess on the floor. And that, it, it, was, it was what I needed. Um, I needed to cry a lot. I needed to get that stuff out. But I needed to worship him in that moment of pain as well. And say, God, even though... I didn't get what I wanted here. You are still good. And part of that process is I don't need answers. I let go of my need for answers. What I don't need is answers. Bill Bill said this so beautifully last weekend. I don't need answers. I need him. He is the answer. There is so much we will never understand this side of eternity. And part of maturity is letting go of our need to. What we do see really, really clearly is all through the Gospels. And whether you you get your online concordance out or whatever and just do a search on the word faith and read every, every passage that contains faith in the Gospels and you start to see something, it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. It makes the difference between whether people get freed from their suffering or not. And I'm talking about the anointing that I carry. I'm not talking about blaming the other person because there are too many movements that when someone doesn't get healed, they blame the other person for not having enough faith. We'll never, ever do that. It's my, if, if I'm praying for them, that's my responsibility. Let's, let, let's be clear. If I pray for you and you don't get healed, that's on me. And what I want to do, what I don't do with that is beat myself up. 
what I do do is go, God, I want to push into you further so that I can shift that thing next time. This is, this is not a, it's not a beat myself up. It's a, I'm going to grow. Ephesians 4 talks about this, that we may grow up into the fullness of him. Saying we don't have to be perfect, but I always want to be growing. I always want to be pursuing. I want a greater measure of faith so that more people who are suffering and in pain can get free. Yeah? It's not about a, super, it's not about a spectacular show. It's about people being released from their suffering. All right, I need to bring this into land. Jump over to Matthew 21, just for a moment. And again, this is the lesson of the the withered fig tree. This is one of those trippy stories where they're walking... Let me just read it. (laughs) Rather than tell you the story and then read it, why don't I just read it? What a novel idea. Um, Now, in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. That's fairly impressive. There have been a number of bushes that I found annoying in the garden that I'd love to just do that to and just have that happen. It would be seriously helpful. Now, there's a whole lot of prophetic stuff in this, and I'm not going to unpack. So, for example, Jesus goes expecting to see fruit, and all he sees is leaves. It's like there's an expression of what it's supposed to be like, but no real fruit. And he was looking at the people of Israel, at the nation of Israel, and going, okay, you have the form of godliness, but there's no power, there's no fruit coming from it. That's part of what he was putting the axe to the root of. And then it says, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? And again, this is where scripture just, when you read it, unless you watch The Chosen, it just seems so sanctified. How is it, Lord? I thought, that's, that's, that's a what the moment right there. Like, how? <laughs> that, that, that's my version. So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, other versions say, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So Jesus does this supernatural act and they're like, <laughs> And he points straight to, this is an issue of faith. This is an issue of demonstrated, manifested faith. And when he says, you know, say to that mountain, go be in the sea, we all know, and it was back then too, the idea of mountains were a metaphor for impossible stuff. You know, you see it, Paul saying it in Corinthians, if I have faith that can move mountains, it's, it is, I can deal with the impossible. But let's go to the quantity again. We know that Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. There's the quantity again. He speaks to the size. We think, I've got to have this great faith. And Jesus says, let's just start with a mustard seed because faith is that powerful. Into the ocean. Hmm. 
So we looked at the corporate thing last time. This time, I want to challenge every one of us. Like I said at the beginning, we're not here as part of a social club. The world seriously needs us right now. Depression, anxiety, confusion is as high as I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Doesn't mean it hasn't been bad at other times, but it's as high as I've seen it in my lifetime. The world more than ever is aching for something real, and when they don't see something real, they go off somewhere else. You know, it's kind of cool to say I'm involved in Eastern spirituality and and, and yoga and Buddhist meditation. It's kind of acceptable. Because even though it's a counterfeit, they're finding something that's actually a real experience. Whereas the church in the West has been stuck in the orphan factory and just doing the thing and not actually pressing in for a level of faith that can see the mountains move. And this is what I want to call us to. This is what I, remind us, I want to remind us of. This is what I want to keep calling us as a community to. I want us to be a place that is so filled and overflowing with faith that people just walk into the car park and suddenly get healed and they walk in here to find out what the hell just happened or what the heaven just happened would be far more appropriate way to say that. We've seen it. We've had it in places before. This is not uncharted territory. But I want to call us up. I want to remind us of what we're here for. We're not here to just put food on the table, raise a family, have a job, come to church, rinse and repeat, die, go to heaven. We're actually meant to shift something while we're here. And as we do... There'll be a whole lot more people hanging out in eternity with us. But rather than wait, let's bring it here. Let's stand. I want to pray for us and then we are done. One of the most honest, authentic prayers in front of Jesus, and I think I talked about this last week too, one of the most honest, authentic prayers was when the man... Um, says, can you heal my son? And long story short, um, Jesus says to him, anything is possible for those who believe. And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I, I have a seed of a tree called belief growing here, but I got this other tree called unbelief growing in my garden as well. It's like, I believe, I'm there, help me deal with this tree. And we all know what that conflict is like. It's like, God, I read it in Scripture and it, and, it, and it births something in me and it's like, yeah. And then we go and pray and nothing moves and it's like, ah. We, we know this conflict. And then there's other times we, we almost pray, and I've had this, where you pray almost going, oh, well, whatever, just do it anyway, I don't believe it. And then it moves. It's like, <laughs> But what we know is what Jesus continually pointed to that shifted stuff or that didn't shift stuff was the measure of faith that was present. And like I said, just to be absolutely clear, if you experience loss, if you experience disappointment, this is, not an, this is not a reason to go and let the enemy start accusing you and going, well, you didn't have any... No, 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 let's not go there. Let's let it fuel the hunger that others won't experience the loss I experienced, that others won't stay stuck in their pain and suffering. I'm going to lean into the presence of God to the point where it's uncomfortable. This is the bit that I didn't write down, but I did want to say. The sort of anointing, the sort of individual anointing and faith that I'm talking about is the kind that costs us something. 
It's, the, it's, it's inconvenient to press into God on that level. Yeah, Jesus said it requires prayer and fasting. I love food. Deeply, deeply love food. Fasting is something I do in between bites. I'm not wrong, eh? This is, if you ever in my house, you will know. I do it between bites sometimes. But this kind of shift, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to cost us something, but the reward is worth it. And I want to I keep reminding us, I want to keep calling us up, that this is not just reserved for a few that are called into ministry. This is what the body of Christ as a whole is called to. So let me pray for us. Father, I continue to pray that you would awaken us and you would awaken your church. We as part of your church, awaken us to the reality of our commission. That it is our job. We have been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit to bring heaven and see it released on earth. We're not just here to do good programs. We're not just here to have fun, even though they can be, we all love having fun. We're actually here to change this thing. We're actually here to see things shift in our generation. And Father, we want to say we believe, help our unbelief. And God, forgive us for when we haven't been hungry enough. God, forgive us for where we've been content with just, well, this is where it is. And God, would you birth in us a fresh hunger? Would you birth in us the, uh, um, a fresh vision for heaven released through me, what that looks like? Would you wake us up to the reality of the battle? Open our eyes to, to, to the, the devices of the enemy and the power of your spirit to bring them down. Open our eyes to the reality of the battle. Because God, when I know I want for me, and if this is your prayer, call it out too. I want for me, when, I, when finally my time is done and I have to hand on the baton, I want to hand on a baton where I've advanced things further than when I picked up the baton. I want to hand off an inheritance that says, here, I've taken ground. Now, go take it where I don't have time to go. Stir us afresh, God. Stir us afresh. Don't let us be satisfied with normal. Don't let us be satisfied with the measure of your, your presence that we are currently experiencing. We want more. We want more. We want more. We want to see Jesus get the full reward for his suffering. So God, burn in us deep. Burn in us deep. And as we say, God, we believe Help our unbelief. Help us uproot that tree where, we, where we've experienced pain and loss and we process that outside of your presence. God, we want to bring that back into your presence and say, God, would you help us walk through that and find healing because you've already paid a price for that. And God, when we come to you broken and messed up, you don't turn us away. Your word says, a bruised reed here you will not break, a smoldering wick you will not snuff out. You are kind and you are good. You know, and the only other thing that leads to unbelief is malnourishment in spirit, where we just don't feed ourselves. 
And so God's stirring us a fresh hunger for the Scriptures. Stirring us a fresh hunger to receive from your Spirit, to be nurtured and nourished by your Holy Spirit. So the most natural thing that when we're squeezed, faith is what comes out. We just ask you, would you build us into that kind of community, into that kind of body, so that Jesus gets his full reward. In Jesus' name. Amen.